Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Everything Under the A Umbrella, brought to you by WeWe Wee Media. And today, uh, I'd like to give credit to our marketing team because they brought on another great guest that I'm excited about, James Van Elswick. If you don't know who he is, I don't know if you've been living under a rock for the past few years, but uh, can you give our podcast listeners a, an idea and a, a quick summary of, I guess, your career in the industry of the past decade or so? Has it been? Yeah, I mean, I'll take it back to like 2013. Um, I owned call centers and failed, completely went out of business. Um, you know, in a call center business, you're dependent on your lead generators to make your money. Like that's the gasoline that goes into the tank. And I saw that the people selling me leads were making a lot of money, even though my business was going down. So I started to really dig into how to generate leads television, radio, direct mail, like traditional stuff. Mm-hmm. And then like right around when um, there started to be ads in the mobile news feed on Facebook, I mean like a few weeks into it, I started advertising there when it was like basically you just put up a website and made money. Like it was really, really easy, like pre-pixels and a lot of stuff, but just the traffic was so cheap. Um, had a lot of success there with lead gen and then I switched into learning how to run native ads then I moved over to uh, Tel Aviv, Israel to open up a media buying company wow. and basically um, really like dig in further, trying to get relationships with Facebook. You know, I, I didn't have a Facebook rep at the time, but I realized I needed to. So I moved to Israel, which is really like the epicenter of media buying and clicks and built a media buying team there. And then like fast forward to today. I do like a little bit of everything, right? So I've got a, a ad agency that handles mainly native ads for clients. Mm-hmm. I own offers. I still run as an affiliate. I have a creative agency. And now I own some of my own e-com brands. So mm-hmm. everything involving clicks or people buying things or selling things or clicking on things on the internet, I'm, I'm deeply involved with. You're a man of many skills. <laughs> many, many skills. Yeah. So I just stuck with things for a while. I mean, and then you kind of meet the right people and then things take you to different places. And exactly. uh, so let's try to, you know, there's a lot to tackle in today's uh, podcast episode, which I'm really excited about. So we can start with, um, I guess you start off as an affiliate, correct? And you got in, yeah. you got, you got into native ads and kind of when you think of native ads, you, you are kind of the expert you have, you have classes, correct? With- yeah. 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 We do uh, some education events. I've got some, online trainings that I've done. But yeah, Natives has definitely been the focus for me and my team. And um, I guess what was the the verticals that you started off with? Like, you know, a lot of the, I started out with a lot of the traditional like ClickBank and BSL type offers for, you know, Foot Fungus, Tinnitus, all the weird ads that you see on Natives. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think things really, really exploded when we did solar lead generation. Mm-hmm. Um, just because the market cap was so high, the balance between the cost per lead for us to generate it and what we could sell it for worked. And uh, yeah, solar, solar lead generation was really the first monster that we had. Wow. That, so you didn't start with Black Hat. You started with more of a, like a White Hat uh, lead gen campaign. So no, I didn't start out in Black Hat. When I, when I first got into the industry, or when I first like really checked out the affiliate marketing industry mm-hmm. in a more like traditional sense and even exposed to the idea of what I had, was like the STM uh, meetup 
in yeah. London, I think it was like 2015. And I got there and was like, wow, there's all these like really like rich, dumb people. Like I couldn't <laughs> believe how much money was being made. Yeah. Um, and I learned about all this stuff, right? Like, you know, pin submits and Nutra and all this. And I looked at both business models, you know, and I didn't necessarily have like some huge moral dilemma with it, you know, as much as it's just a different business. I just was like, dude, I could never deal with these guys are dealing with, with farming accounts and all this type of stuff. So I just made a choice to go white instead of black like that day. And then just stayed focused. I'm like, look, I'm not going to get distracted by this over here. I'm going to build some different things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was just, it was just a choice, you know, just going to white first. So to, to become like a successful affiliate, you know, you need, you know, quite a few skills, whether it's copywriting, whether it's reading data, whether it's, um, you know, bidding, bidding strategies, what would you say is your specialty that kind of you have the edge or that's what kind of made you a super affiliate in, in that term? You know, it's like going to be like a shitty answer, but like just focus and evolution, right? Because as a marketer in general, like my skill set has had to continue to evolve to match what's going on in the marketplace. And like to be like a great marketer or affiliate, whatever, you got to be somewhat of a generalist. You know, you can't be a basketball player that just has a jump shot. You got to eventually learn also to grab rebounds and make assists. Yeah. You know, when, when I first started, uh, um, it was data for sure. And bidding and doing things with the algorithm to get cheaper prices, like optimizing the media side. Mm-hmm. But then like, as the platform got smarter you know, that wasn't really an edge anymore, or at least it wasn't something that was going to, you know, decrease costs by a massive amount, right? So then I got more into the biz dev side of things, getting better payouts, working on payout bumps, setting up some of my own direct deals yeah. to create more margin. And then like recently, it's been all creative. And, and, you know, right now I'm in the process of studying copywriting real deep, which I never really learned very well. Mm-hmm. So... You know, it's, you got to keep finding the next level of your skills because it just keeps getting more, it's, you know, it's a, it's an auction based marketplace, right? So it gets more and more competitive. Mm -hmm. So I think my overall, um, thing has just been focused and willing to like kind of learn and evolve. Like I'm sitting here literally like with, I'll show you, I'm sitting here literally with like flashcards, Mm -hmm. you know, like, like, like doing exercises to become a better copywriter. Mm-hmm. Um, even though I'm a data guy. So I think it's evolution, you know? Yeah. And I guess um, I watching a few of your other podcast episodes in the past, one thing that you've, I would say, helped you scale to where you are today is that you're able to like build out teams, structure, and train people. Um, Absolutely. Where do you think you developed those skills? Was it prior to the affiliates? Because sometimes, like you said, affiliates don't really know how to turn it into a business and they don't think like long-term and they don't, some, some, some of them are just good at running traffic and running campaigns, but the business side of things, they're not so great at. Where did you get that experience from? Or did you just learn as you went forward and constantly challenge yourself? Yeah. I mean, like I had already learned it. I mean, I got into affiliate marketing, let's say when I was like 37 years old, right. Which is old Mm -hmm. as shit. And I'd already owned businesses and had employees as an entrepreneur. since Like a teenager. And what, where did you, what, would, what were your businesses before affiliate marketing? I would say, I mean, look, all sorts from restaurants to call centers mm-hmm. um, and, and everything in between. Um, 
the call center business is where I really learned about labor management because it, it's just human capital, right? Like you optimize the output of seats in your call center the way that you optimize publishers and you're just hiring and firing you know, I've hired and fired thousands and thousands of people, you know, and you just start to learn what makes people tick. How do you set up standard operating procedures? Mm-hmm. And when I took a look at like the affiliate marketing thing or just marketing, setting up marketing teams in general, you know, if you have some understanding of how to build structure, et cetera, it's like really easy to manage because everything is so measurable. Like that the, the output and the, the profit per media buyer is something you can really keep track of and just optimize mm. based off that. So the learn the original learning lessons, the deep, deep learning lessons were inside of uh, the call center when it comes to managing human capital. Mm-hmm. And um, what, cause I remember I watched one of your episodes and you even said when you're hiring people that you would place them in smaller chairs where you would sit a little bit higher them to kind of create that, fa- yeah, that intimidation funny, factor. And I was like, holy shit, that's like next level mind, mind games from the yeah, we. I, I learned to play the psychology thing hard with the call center thing. You know, like having one chair short in the call center. So like yeah. the last person in fucking didn't get a chair. Yeah. Um, managers <laughs> sat on podiums so they looked down at salespeople. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the idea that when you got a, when you got a promotion, now you got like a higher seat. People wanted that even more than the cash, you know, yeah. and that's status. Totally dude. And I started to gamify the things a little bit, you know, I didn't realize at the time, okay, I'm gamifying it, but that's what I did. Like every time somebody closed the deal, everybody had to stand up and clap. And it was like an interesting experiment because you would have, um, we would constantly have interviews like all the time. Mm-hmm. And they would sit in chairs in the call center, right? So we would line them up so that the people working in the call center psychologically knew that we were always hiring, which means we could always fire. Mm-hmm. And you'd have these people just sitting there waiting for a job interview. And after like a few times of someone closing a deal and everyone getting up and clapping, now the visitors were too, because yeah. it was just like, you just, it was like herd mentality to the maximum. Mm-hmm. So when I saw a lot of the effectiveness of some of these type of, of, psychology or social engineering, whatever it is, mm-hmm. I started to implement that all the time. Yeah. I mean, uh, it sounds like an effective way to do it. And it sounds a little bit like Wolf on Wall Street, uh, which yeah, is... Totally, a- <laughs> man. These principles, like call centers, um, they really teach you a lot of the principles of motivating people and getting them to perform at scale. You know, you're, 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 it's the whole thing is just to get people to, to, to perform for you. You know, that's the whole way the whole thing works. Um, and I also remember one of the lines that, uh, from your previous, uh, episodes, um, when you said, if you're a media buyer, you can kind of stand in any circle because you have traffic. Um, and it, because having traffic is, is so powerful. Do you remember any memorable circles that you've stood in outside of the like online marketing where you looked around and you're like, Oh, you know, these are some like important people. Like I never thought that I'd be standing here and, and holding my own. Um, you know, I'll give a different example of that. Um, you know, I feel like our ability to sell things and our abilities to market is like a great equalizer. Like even like super, super rich people or successful business owners, they want what we have. And I'll just give a quick example. Like I'm in South Beach right now. Mm -hmm. And like three weeks ago I was getting a coffee and this dude pulls up in a Maybach 
huge Audemars Piguet watch, probably some dude yeah. like 45, 50, right? German mm-hmm. guy there with his wife. And he heard me on the phone talking about selling a product, right? And the guy, now he wants to start to talk to me and he's asking me questions about marketing. And he's like, <laughs> the guy buys companies, um, you know, like the dude's obviously worth hundreds of millions of dollars, if not a B. Like I looked him up later. Mm-hmm. And um, he's asking me like, okay, well, if I'm selling a product on the internet for $300, what should it cost me in advertising to get this person to be a client? And it made me realize like this dude that is, is hyper, hyper successful. He's asking me for my phone number and he's asking me for advertising advice. Mm-hmm. And it's like a great equalizer because if you can sell things on the internet, you're valuable to anybody on earth. You know, everybody wants someone who's able to do this, you know? So I've also always referenced the fact that it's great to be on the media side or the affiliate side because everybody kisses your butt. Like the affiliate networks, they want your traffic and the traffic sources, they want you to spend. Like if you're an affiliate, you never owe anybody dinner. You always have the dinners bought for you because you you really have the, the magic wand to help make people money. Yeah, believe me, man. I was uh, an affiliate manager for quite a while, and uh, I used to we used to just have jokes around, like, "Man, I have to like get on my knees and suck this affiliate's, you know, fucking dick for." Traffic. Yeah, no, I know, dude. I know, dude. <laughs> I know. I have a network too. Like, listen, it drives me crazy. I won't do it. I'm just like, dude. Yeah. I don't want your fucking traffic. Like, my offer is going to either make you money or you're going to be a pain in the ass, whatever. But mm-hmm. you know, I I can't handle this. You know, I, I, I never treated it that way myself, but I always noticed it. You know what I mean? It was just like, yeah. this is crazy. Why, why do they have this attitude? And then it was like, look, if you're spending a bunch of money, the traffic sources love you too. They want the traffic. You know, it's like mm-hmm. everybody wants what you got. So from the affiliate, uh, from being an affiliate, where did you kind of transition into next? Yeah, so I think like, um, like a lot of affiliates, I just felt like um, I was making or I was building something for other people, but I wasn't having long-term value. And every day I had to make another buck. Like Mm -hmm. every day I had to have another profitable day. Every day I had to, um, you know, win the arbitrage game on a auction based traffic source. So it was Mm -hmm. difficult when I got into solar and we started building our own pages to kind of control the optimization of the pages. And then we started bringing on buyers Mm -hmm. and I realized like, wow, okay, I can build my own offer. And then we started bringing on affiliates. That's really when things changed where I was like, okay, I want to own the offer because like solar went on to make us money until like, I don't know, for like four years. Right. Long Mm -hmm. after I was the one running the traffic, Mm -hmm. you know, affiliates were still running. It It was still making money with like a low amount of, of output. So that was the first time that I really kind of started to see the transition. And then recently I started owning my own e-commerce brands mm-hmm. and going a step further by building something with brand equity, you know, that has, has long-term value to sell or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And that's kind of a, was kind of my next question. Cause it, it relates to me as I'm, I've just created a product from scratch actually. And I know that you've teamed up with someone in, uh, from China who, you know, did the, who is experienced with the factory side, you got the traffic side. It was kind of a match made in heaven. Um, I guess what kind of things have you learned this year when you're coming out with your own e-com uh, products and building your own brand? Uh, 
I guess this is kind of new to you because this is something with, you know, longevity, something you hope to exit from in the, in the future or, or maybe not. But I mean, building a brand is, is quite different from just running traffic. So what are the kind of, I guess, things that you've learned during this past year of, of building your brand? Yeah, I mean, the big learning lesson has been it's just so many areas that you can optimize to make more money. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's just so much more than traffic in a Shopify store. You know, like, I mean, you can you can create so much extra, you know, quote unquote, extra revenue by your upsells, your email marketing, marketing on multiple channels, SMS. Like, mm-hmm. there's just so yeah. many places where you can add. Three percent, five percent, Amazon. Like so, yeah. this, this it's just has so much more than just driving that first click. You know, like it's there's just tons of revenue that that happens outside of that click that doesn't make that initial click more expensive. You know, so mm-hmm. being able to increase the AOV on orders and just the revenue per user, um, yeah is the key is just not being short-sighted and think, Oh, Facebook plus Shopify, I'll be rich. It's like, no, just build the proper foundation with the proper tech stack and all the different remarketing and different opportunities to touch that client again in different ways. And it's, it's a much, I think easier road when you have all that extra income coming in. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but, how has the corona the covid-19 situation affected your business i mean your ecom business over the past few months it for me it slowed down my production like crazy in a few a few months at least uh has has it have you taken a hit yeah absolutely absolutely um so we had a we had a slowdown cuz of inventory. We had bought enough inventory to make it through uh Chinese New Year and we even made it into a while of the you know this whole corona thing. Mm-hmm. But eventually yeah, we started to fall behind. Excuse me. Eventually we started to fall behind. Um we were lucky that some of our factories were one of the earlier ones to open back up again. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, definitely made like big issues because like the lack of shipping creates chargebacks and refunds. Mm-hmm. Um, then you have to slow down sales because you don't have inventory. And it, uh, it's also killed some of my lead gen businesses as well, to be honest. Like I was doing lead generation in France for home improvement mm-hmm. and that just completely stopped because nobody can leave their house. Right. And I, I think soon it'll be the same with a lot of the U S lead gen, you know, because obviously you have a call center with a hundred, 200 people, they're going to be getting each other sick. Right. So now they got to work from home. People yeah. are not going to want to convert. Like it's, it's, it's affected pretty much every uh, business that I'm involved with. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can, we're definitely feeling it all around the world now. So hopefully, you know, we're able to bounce back. People kind of stick to the, to the, quarantine and and just you know ride this out and hopefully we just kind of pick back where we left off um yes. so we, we we talked about affiliate we, uh your affiliate career we talked about a little bit of um your e-com brands and you're a so also an agency owner yeah 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 so i have a agency we run facebook but we focus on native ads usually now it's for e-commerce brands that are mm-hmm. doing really well on facebook and they're looking to diversify onto natives. Mm-hmm. And if the product works, you know, we'll take on on clients to run on Taboola, Outbrain, Rev Content, et cetera. 
why do you feel that like um why do you why do you prefer native over facebook traffic um look i mean facebook traffic is better right i mean i'm not gonna ever say that it isn't okay but i don't feel that well first off anytime you're building a business on one vendor it's not really a business and it's definitely Mm -hmm. not stable um and i just i've gotten fucked over by facebook so many times Mm -hmm. um with business manager bans losing my high level support myself and like 10 or 11 on my team being removed from the platform for our personal accounts like just so much where there's just no stability there. Now the complete opposite is native ads because like with these networks, I've never had an account banned ever. Not one account has ever been banned. Do I get problems with policy and do I get disapprovals and all this? Yeah, but they communicate with us and we fix it. So it works for them. So this has a lot to do with it. And the second thing is, especially when it comes to managing someone else's money, like working as an agency, mm-hmm. it's nice to have something that's a bit more quantifiable and a bit more stable. So I don't have to answer like, you know, to, to issues that I can't explain because, okay, today uh, they just, you know, release some new CBO functionality and uh, the traffic is just shit, you know, like, yeah, it's under-reporting. It's over-reporting. It's overspending. I just don't have that as much on native ads, so that's just where I've, I've made my focus. Okay. So um, so we talked about that, um, and another thing that you're well-known for is Geek Out, obviously, uh, something you're pretty proud of and it's been going on for a, a few years now. Uh, how was it? You had an event in LA last month? Yeah. yeah how yeah. was that? And what was the, what was the topics of the LA event? Yeah. So like, you know, geek out, the concept behind geek out is to have a place where we, as the weirdo marketers that we are, can geek out and talk shop and go deep on, on this very niche, uh, job. Right. So Mm. it's, it's built a lot for my interest. Like I don't really make any money on it. It's Mm. event business is shit. Um, but I do it really to learn and to network. So since I myself have been transitioning more into brands, mm-hmm. we did an event specifically for brands, right? So the content, as opposed to being super tactical and media heavy, um, there was still how to buy media, but there was also a lot of focus on like Amazon, customer service, creatives, you mm-hmm. know, other things that, uh, you know, how to deal with PayPal and Stripe. Mm-hmm. You know, other things that people that are in the brand world would find relevant and things that I wanted to get better at and learn about. So the event was awesome. Like the quality of the people um, was really high. We did a very strict uh, vetting of the attendees to make sure that we had the right people. How many people uh, came out? Uh, 70 people. We always cap it at 70. Like uh, we've just found that that's like the magic. That's the magic number where the group is like big enough that there's a lot of diversity, mm-hmm. um, but not so big that you start to lose people into small groups and clicks yeah. and less communication. So where did you kind of find the, I guess, the motivation? And even though you said you it's not really a big money generator for you, why do you kind of devote so much time to it? Is it something that you're very passionate about, sharing knowledge, building a community? 
and helping yeah. helping others? Look, I love um, helping others. You know, I, I just, for whatever reason, I've taught stuff since I was young. I enjoy teaching. You know, I was a very high-level tennis player, and I used to give tennis lessons, you know, and I, I really enjoyed it and, and have always had an ability to explain things by using metaphors and other things of this nature, right? So this is always great. Also, when you teach, you learn more. You, you more deeply ingrained the education. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think, like, after I did the first one, the, the, I mean, the way that it started was I was doing drop shipping and dealing with the – what happens when you sell shitty products basically it was just like okay well i love e-commerce but i don't want to sell shitty products and this is something i could make my own product like i had 100 yeah. percent control yeah. um, so i got into it there and then you know every time i do an event like the two three weeks before when i'm like still in the negative on ticket sales and there's mm-hmm. all this shit going on i hate the business i'm like i'm never going to do another event this is terrible yeah. blah 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 then by the time the event is done I'm like invigorated, like it's so much fun. I'm talking to so many people. I'm learning so much. Mm-hmm. There's a great like aspect of community and not like a played out way, but like really like a group of people that are all into the same shit. Mm-hmm. And then I get all invigorated and I plan some more. You know? <laughs> When's the next one? I'm going to have to check it out uh, for sure. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be again, we're going to do one in Brooklyn. Uh, that was a great one. It'll be the uh, end of August. Okay. Um, and, Could- and, that's we not, would have done. What's, what's that? I was like, that's. I'm actually from Toronto, so I was like, that's not too far from me, actually. Yeah, no, but it's, come, it's a pretty quick. Yeah, I have to come down. They're amazing events, man. The people that we have, like, we really vet the people. So we have like, it's literally a no douchebag policy. So mm-hmm. if we even like get a scent of people having like a bad attitude or whatever the case may be, we mm-hmm. just don't. We don't let those people in. And, you know, I have a thing where I'm just fairly socially awkward with networking and stuff, like, which is strange because I'm fairly extroverted and and fairly charismatic. So like people want to talk to me and I want to talk to people, but I'm super uncomfortable talking to people in group situations. Yeah. So we build everything to kind of get around that hurdle for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, So we, we try really, really hard to get everybody like talking and well integrated and it, it just... I don't know. We get like a lot of people kind of out of their shell and mm-hmm. talking. And then it just ends up being like this great kind of, uh, I don't know, family style. All this shit sounds so cliche, but it really ends up like that where everyone's like really sharing. Laptops are open. People are showing each other campaigns, what they're doing that's working, yeah. connecting. So definitely, definitely come. So um, I think your partner there is uh, is Nick, right? Yeah, Nick Shackelford. Nick Shackelford. Good, good research, dude. I um no I saw him speak at a after Barcelona they held a an event um and I stayed for the few days after that and I heard him speak and I heard and yeah he 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 dropped a lot of knowledge bombs and it was um and then then I saw him on the website and then I was like oh you know this is definitely something I need to check out um, yeah he's amazing look when it comes to brand stuff mm-hmm. um he's just one of the top guys out there like his. Mm-hmm. his when I started learning e-commerce, first off, that's how we connected. It was mm-hmm. me asking him for help and yeah. me asking him for information and me asking him how to do this. And what do you think about this? And why do we do this? And like, he really brought me into the game. And now he has a very successful agency with a lot of really big brands um, because he just gets it done. He has great results. And 
because he has so many clients, he gets to see so much different stuff and pull some like overarching principles that are applicable to every brand. Mm-hmm. And he loves teaching, you know, mm-hmm. he, he enjoys sharing things besides being one of the nicest guys on earth. So mm-hmm. we've been together for two years. We worked on it for two years. And then this year was the first year that we officially became partners on paper. Nice. Nice. Um, so, you know, just from this quick conversation, you know, you have your hands in a lot of things. And one thing that I'm, um, going through myself as building a brand, coming out with my own product and still, you know, juggling another position and, you know, trying to make, give my attention properly, my focus attention to, you know, the, the different types of ventures that I'm in right now. What is your, I guess, daily process look like when you wake up? What is, how do you balance all this, this, uh, all these ventures at once? How do you juggle them? This is a good question. There's a couple different things that I do. Um, first off, morning process is um, like I try to make sure that no matter what, every morning I'm checking a couple different boxes, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just hit my morning routine, like regardless, like there's no slipping on my morning routine and the things that I need to check off to kind of center myself. When it comes to how do I balance the businesses? You know, you have your goal, your three-year, five-year goal, and everything you're doing should kind of build into that three- to five-year goal. So when taking a look at that goal, you got to say, like, what's the most important thing for me to reach that goal? So what I do is, is I take a look at the different businesses, and the one that is most important for that goal, not the one that's making the most money, not the one that's the most active, that's what I work on on Monday morning, two hours, uninterrupted deep work. And then on Tuesday, it's the second most important. And Wednesday, the third most important. Like the rest of the day is going to happen. But those first two hours of like focus needs to go in the right place. Because there's a good saying that um, urgency creates the illusion of importance. Mm-hmm. But like usually the shit's not that important. It's sure. about deciding, yeah, like I, I just try to consider it like I'm going to control my day. I'm going to get up. I'm going to go through my morning routine and then I'm going to decide what I work on. I'm not going to let like life and all the BS that's going on decide for me because mm-hmm. like once I get going on my day and answering emails and Skypes and all this other shit, then um, half the day is gone. <laughs> it's done, dude. It's yeah. done. I've been sucked into the the daily flow of things. You know, I plugged in and now I'm like on the ride. And that first two hours needs to be like when I get the shit done, that's, that's specific to the business I want to work on. And I guess working with so many different people um, and I guess trying to find the the right timing and the way to prioritize, th- prioritize things, who who keeps you in check when you're slipping? Like who's, who's able to call you out in your organizations? Like, Hey, you're not, you're not really pulling your weight here, James. Does anybody, you know, talk to you like that in your companies or are you on the same level with that as as anyone at your companies? I know nobody rarely (laughs) look. Some people will call me out. I got to take that back. Actually. Um, my assistant, who is like really my chief of staff, like she's my ride or die and we grind through this shit every day. Mm -hmm. Um, She'll, she'll tell me like, Hey, I'm having a hard time getting answers out of you on some shit. Mm -hmm. That's not as aggressively as she'll go. And then like, look, a lot of my other employees, they've been with me for a long time. 
and I give them a lot of room to do their thing and I'm just supporting them. So they don't need to call me out on it that much. They'll just kind of slowly tap me and bitch at me. Mm -hmm. And um, I would say my partners, you know, for me, if I feel like I'm slipping, I'm automatically apologizing beforehand because I don't, I don't think I slip a lot, but I know I slip a lot. You know what I'm saying? But when I slip, I'm I'm more than happy to say like, yo, I'm sorry. I dropped the ball on this. I'm behind. I'm late on this. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a straight shooter like myself. So like I'll call you out, but I respect you when you can call me out because I can take it too. And I think uh, you mentioned that you were a, a high level tennis player. Like how, how far did you go with that? I mean, just like, you know, to, you know, national level in the juniors, I played in college. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't do as well as I should have because I had a lot of personal self-doubt. So my sports psychology level of things was pretty shitty. My physical ability was great, but I just didn't have the correct mindset to really uh, dominate. I wasn't confident in myself at that point in my life. That's, and at that level crazy. of competition, you need to be, you know. It's crazy because like I can relate to that fully because before I got into the affiliate marketing or the internet online marketing game, I was a basketball player. So when you made a basketball reference, I was like, oh shit, he's a fan of, of basketball. So I used to play professional basketball here in the Philippines. But wow. um, like you said, like, you know, it was, you know, when you're, people say, yeah, I played high school. I was like, yeah, that's cute. But like, have, did you ever, was it ever your way of life? Was it ever like your source of income? Because that's when it becomes totally different. And that's when you feel the pressure. That's when like you have to perform day in and day out because someone's trying to take your spot. Like, and, um, and yeah, so I guess my, I don't want, I don't ever want to blame it on injuries, but I tore both my ACLs and then I kind of, my brother was in this industry. He's like, look, man, we're making bread over here. Like you can always come into this. And I was like, nah, I'm going to do my sports thing. And like, you know, we'll see. We'll both be okay. And then, um, yeah. So then when I was able to, um, transition, I realized like when I came into like the work field, like a lot of these people are soft. Like they can't, they just, they think they're working hard, but they don't know what hard work really is and like really grinding. So I was like, I think, you know, athletes have a mentality of like, that's an, that's next level. Especially when you go try to be a professional, like you need another level of, and like you said, confidence, these people's, these professional athletes, confidence, whether whatever sport it is, it's, it's up there. Like you cannot fuck with their mentality, you know? Totally. Totally. You can't, you can't get into flow state and really like do it unless you believe in yourself and have like the self trust. Yeah. The opposite of self doubt is self trust. Mm -hmm. And it's like, if you're thinking about the shot, you will not shoot the shot as well as if you just know it and you're in flow. Yeah, exactly. Sports or military, there's a lot of different things that teach people perseverance and focus mm-hmm. and like let us make some small wins so we like believe in ourselves and that continues to build yeah. and you so hold, that we're able you hold, to hit yeah. those days. You hold on to those small wins like because you need them. Like, oh, I had a good practice today. Or, oh, you know, so it's like. Yeah, totally. It's crazy. Sports really, really, like you said, I used to see a sports psychologist when I was here because I was like, man, like I know I'm good, but like there's a next level of like, you know, uh, self-trust that you need to have. And like, you know, when I see like true superstars, like they'll take 50 shots and miss, they'll take 51 without even thinking. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. Like, this is what I do, you know? And it's like, how do you do that? Like, that's, that's crazy. And the whole team would be looking at you like, dude, what the fuck? Pass the ball. Like, no, this is what I do, bro. Like I score, this is what I'm here for. So I I had like, you know, a athlete mentality, but that extra 1% is a huge separation. Like that's, that's why I never did more with it than I should have. There was just a, a split second of doubt and that's all it takes to disrupt getting into flow, which is required to be amazing. Like you mentioned sports psychologist. I, I have a productivity coach. She's a sports psychologist that I work with twice a month who kind of helps coach me to be the most effective and, and perform at the highest level at what we do at, at business and marketing and stuff, you know? So that the fact that his ability to any, you know, was a, a high level sports psychologist for like professional athletes, professional baseball players. Mm-hmm. But like when I realized that the stuff that he worked with pitchers mm-hmm. on is the exact same content he uses on me. Like it just made me realize like life is a sport. Business is a sport. It's mm-hmm. all competition. It's all performance and it's all about self-trust. Yeah, exactly. And um, I mean, I was mad about it, how like it didn't work out. It sounds cliche, but like everything happens for a reason. And I think that, you know, whatever happened tr- kind of mentally trained me for like what you're about to go through right now. So, um, yeah, so that was, that was a good side topic, not talking about internet marketing at all. But actually, you know, this is really good life skills that, you know, pe- that entrepreneurs need in order to like kind of push pa- push past the, the challenges. Um, one thing I also looked into was your charity of how you take um, people with absolutely no media buying experience and teach them those skills. Uh, you know, how did you come up with that and, and how did you even get started with that? Uh, yeah, man. Um, so, I mean, it started with, and a lot of people don't even know this, but I've started to share it more and more, but it's, um, I went to prison for like six years for selling marijuana in the United States. And uh, from like my young 20s till I was 30, right? And when I got out, it was really hard to get a job. It was hard to get a place to live. And I got into originally, you know, selling digital marketing services. Like that's how I learned about this shit. That was my first touch with any of this. I hadn't turned on a computer, you know, ever in my life. And I had to get a job. So I started working with basically a lead generation company. And I always kind of felt that it was a problem, you know, like it was just so hard to get back in the workforce. Um, and, and, and I was like, you know, well-educated, well-spoken, a lot of different things. So as, as my career kind of built, I always felt like I should share how to media buy with people because it's an equalizer, right? Like media buying, you're judged by green or red. You're not judged by if you've been to prison or if you're white, black, Spanish, girl, boy, like none of that shit matters. It only matters if you're profitable or not. Mm-hmm. And it's always kind of been in my head. And then I started teaching media buyers in Israel. Then I did the geek out thing. And I was like, look, you know, it's cool that I'm, I'm teaching people how to media buy and I'm getting paid for it. You know what I'm saying? That's cool. I got the event business and shit. But like, what if my form of charity was to take that information and put it in other people's heads. It's like even more valuable than giving them money. Right. So I got with a friend of mine that owns a monster e-com company 
and I got a bunch of my affiliate friends. Mm-hmm. And for eight weeks, we taught these students how to media buy and then got them jobs when it was done, you know? And it's something that I'm really into. I want to continue to do um, because it's just like a game changer for someone's life when you can go from making, you know, very, very small amounts of money or coming through difficulties. And some of the people that we had in the school were the same situation as me, people that had gotten out of federal prison. Mm-hmm. And we're having, getting a job and we're not computer savvy. And we taught them from scratch how to buy media and they're crushing now, you know? That's amazing. How long has it been going on for? This was my first school. Um, they've been employed now probably about seven months. I had two schools, two charity schools planned for this year. Um, but I think because of coronavirus, mm-hmm. my July, August one may get messed up. We'll mm-hmm. see, but I should still be able to uh, hopefully get my uh, my September, October, my October, November school in. So, so you said how many of them are in, play, in like have uh, are employed now from your school? Yeah, so we started out with fourteen and eleven got employed. Wow, and um, just that like for through your friends' companies or just they just apply to random companies and got picked up? No, my friends' company. He's a monster and he needed more media buyers. That was the deal. I said, look, dude, you, let me use your HR to find the people mm-hmm. and let me vet them for their hardship and whether or not I think they can do it. But then like when they're done, if they're good, you have to hire them. Mm-hmm. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. So um, yeah, he hired all the relevant ones <clears throat> and we're going to do it again with him. And we've recently had another company hit us up to hire them. But the idea is that we'll start making these students available to anybody that wants to hire them, you know, whether it be an affiliate marketing company, an agency, a brand, if they want like super well-trained media buyers that are hungry and hustle, Mm -hmm. um, then, you know, you could hire them. Nice. So since you love, you know, to create, you know, these events and these charities where you like to teach uh, who were your mentors growing up? Who did you kind of look up to and, and learn a lot from? You know, I always reference one of the same guys, um, I think on how to do like good, clean business and also like on the, the sales side of things. So there's, there's the guy that taught me how to sell leads. whose name is Sev Paso. Um, he really turned me on to the biz dev side of things. I think my one of my business partners, Daniel Yavor, who is my partner at Purple Leads, he mm. taught me how to like negotiate and make deals. You know, like how to make a good deal, how to make a smart, you know, financial decision. I think those two had a really big impact on uh, on what I on what I do. Mm-hmm. I think I have like a zillion mentors. Really, like I've got, I'm just blessed to have some really smart, successful friends that are like helpful to me either by giving me advice, but also like just setting like a sick example with the way they live their lives. So I just start to kind of take that in, you know, like they'll do something and I'll ask them why and then start to put it into my own, my own mix, you know? So a little bit of everybody and yeah, you get James. Yeah. I got like a a million in my mind. I got a million mentors, you know, like there's, there's Topher from, uh, he owns Giddy Up. I learned so much from him about business all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I got a friend, uh, copywriter, Dave, that's real successful offer owner. I mean, yeah, there's just so many. Like, I would say almost all my friends are uh, 
are my mentors. Well, that's, uh, you know, the saying iron sharpens iron, you know, I'm pretty sure that they learn some stuff from you and you take from them. And if, you know, if everybody kind of had that mentality, then everybody eats, you know, like, yeah, totally. totally. That's one of my favorite like quotes is like, Hey man, everybody eats this. There's enough room for everybody, you know, hundred percent, hundred percent. So fast forward five years from now, what would you say? Uh, what, what's your next, what's your five year plan? I would say that, that you can kind of let people in on what you're working yeah, on. Yeah. I mean, um, I want to take my charity school and turn it into a regular school. So basically open what I call like a school of modern advertising Mm -hmm. that almost like a digital trade school where people, instead of like learning a skill like plumbing or being a mechanic, something non like liberal arts or book education where people go in and learn how to media buy uh, to be an employee or to have a trade or to be a business owner and give them all the assets, you know, let them learn about the traffic side, copywriting, offer creation, Photoshop, After Effects, programming, just everything that's required to build a, a, a marketer, whether mm-hmm. it be like a fully well-rounded marketer, or whether it be like a very specific skill set, um, and create like a proper, you know, college, university, whatever you want to call it for this, mm-hmm. where everyone comes in and actually like classroom learns how to do what we do. Mm-hmm. all right well i mean that kind of concludes the interview um one thing i wanted to ask is you know what is a, a mantra that you kind of live by to end it off oh my god dude there's so many um I, since i was a, I, I had like a lot of difficulties when i was young life hasn't always been easy mm-hmm. so it's always been like this is a hardcore one but it's always been like fuck you you can't break me mm-hmm. uh, and i go back to that like all the time um just because like it doesn't need to be so aggressive but like any situation in life it just doesn't it doesn't matter you know what i'm saying i i just feel like i can't be broken and then um you know i also like the saying in god we trust but for cash we must like (laughs) yeah you know like it's cool like i you know it's 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 cool that I trust you and you say I'm going to get paid and we're going to do this, but like it's, I do it for the cash. So that's really what's going to make this thing happen. So I like the fuck you. You can't break me because I mean, in order for you to say that you must have gone through some shit, you know what I mean? And that's why, you know, you know, weak minded people can't really say that or people who have not been tested to, you know, extreme environments or extreme situations and gone past that can't really say that. So I relate to that. I mean, uh, in my own, you know, trials and, and, and challenges. So yeah, I, I like that one. It may be a little bit hardcore, but I'm a straightforward guy, so I can relate. Yeah, it's, it's totally hardcore, but it's <laughs> applicable to anything. You can say it to Facebook, you can say it to business partners, you can say it to enemies, you can say it to any situation, anything difficult that happens. It's just like at this point at 43 years old, my self-trust is maximum like because i just know like okay i've already been through it like you can't break me like i'm just gonna keep going like you like another saying that goes along with it is just like you can accomplish anything with enough time and enough money so Mm -hmm. it's like if i need to do something it will get done it's just a matter of how long and how much you know Mm. 
All right, man. Well, thank you for taking this time with me this morning. I know it's just pretty early for you, and I took up your very your most you know valuable hours of the day. So I, I already nailed that. it. It's okay. <laughs> I already nailed my process goals, dude. I already got it done. Cannot sacrifice that. But yeah, man, I can really say I you know personally I learned a lot from this this podcast episode, and uh, it was definitely one of my favorite ones or my favorite one that I've done to date. So thank you, man. That means a lot. Thank you. I've been a fan from afar, you know, from a distance, just uh, kind of. Uh, watch from the background but yeah i will look at look to get to one of your events in, in brooklyn um, one. and uh yeah man appreciate your time james and uh thank you, thank you take care buddy i appreciate it all right later